spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Joy 99.7 FM. BBC Sounds, music, radio, podcast. Hi, Gary Lineker here. Before you kick off your podcast, I just wanted to pop up and tell you about Match of the Day Top 10. Alan Shearer, Micah Richards and myself sit down to debate and rank our footballing top 10s. From debuts to upsets, champions to great escapes, the only thing we can guarantee is that we won't agree. It's a ridiculous system, isn't it? There's a full box set of four of the series available now. Just search for the Match of the Day Top 10 only on BBC Sounds. Now, back to your podcast. On the Football Daily Podcast, this is the Euroleagues. Hello, I'm John Bennett and welcome to Euroleagues on the Football Daily Podcast. No Steve Crossman, he's taking a winter break, such is his commitment to the big leagues. But we do have Guillaume Balaguet, Julian Laurens and James Horncastle. Hello, all of you. Hello, John. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Johnny. Hey, John. Thank oh, welcome you. back. You've For been here before. I was. This is my second time. The first time, you all made me sing. James, you weren't here, but they, they made me sing the Marseillaise. It was your debut. What do you mean it was your debut? I'm not sure any other presenter who's presented this for the first time had to do that. Alistair have Bruce you, Ball, I'm sure, the, uh, didn't sing. Have you heard about the second song you have to sing? Is another no, one no, no, no way. No it's backwards. Spanish this anthem. one is backwards and in French. Spanish anthem. <laughs> you're, you're lucky there's no words on the Spanish anthem. So <laughs> we're, we're, I, yeah. gonna, I thought Jules was going to say, it's ici, c'est Paris. No. <laughs> we'll get to them later. We'll get to them. Guillaume and Julien, I think, may well have an argument later. Uh, but, but, but first, let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about Christmas. I want to I know if you're all ready for Christmas. And you, Guillaume, you love your job. I listen to the, the podcast week in, week out. Tell me the truth here. Is it a bit depressing for you at Christmas with so many leagues having a winter break? Do you get a winter break? Uh, do I get a, a winter break? Do you know, I've um, had one of those flus that has forced me to have a winter break. I've been out for about 10 days, apart from... The Euroleagues, which uh, is the one I get out of bed or for oh, of and, uh, and put all my energies to. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, winter break is absolutely necessary. Uh, it's, it's psychological, it's physical, it stops me uh, worrying, stops me watching football, but mm, the football's still on. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm back uh, this week and I'm back next week again. So uh, my break no is rest. over. And Julianne, father of three, are you ready? <laughs> I try to be ready. Me and Mrs. L uh, have done our best, really. <laughs> now we just wait for Santa to come, you know, and the three children and the, yeah, exactly, and the family coming over and and all of that is is great. And and you know, I think Boxing Day then for the people who still work in in the UK and, and go to matches and report on matches is still a very special occasion that I think. In a way, a lot of other countries in Europe are envious a little bit, yeah. uh, but that, but that no, no one wants to sacrifice the two-week holiday and winter break, which I can also understand. And James, um, I, I can see you on Zoom. I can see you all on Zoom, and you've got the best Zoom background, a drum kit. Oh. Does that get played on Christmas Day? He pretends. He pretends. <laughs> only pretending. Uh, this is this is uh, my misspent youth. We'll, we'll dust it Hence off. The hair. Sort of my, yeah. my, 
<laughs> exactly, exactly, Guillaume. I've got some of my brushes here. Maybe with my song later. Maybe with go. my song, you can accompany me on the drum kit. <laughs> Let's start by talking about Barcelona because the transfer window opens in just over a week, but they have been busy already, Barcelona. They've agreed a deal to sign Manchester City's Spanish forward Ferran Torres. Uh, the, the fee reported to be 55 million euros plus add-ons as well. And everyone is wondering, Guillaume Balaguer, how Barcelona are able to afford this. I mean, you helped to break this story. Just give us a bit more detail about this deal. Well, it's 55 million euros plus 10, uh, which is not the 70 million euros that Manchester City asked for at the beginning. But, uh, but it is what Barcelona think that uh, he is worth. They do have that money. How is that possible? Well, they did ask recently uh, an almost 600 million euros loan to Goldman Sachs. That's 600 million to add to the 1.3 billion euros debt. But that loan is to uh, pay, you know, some of the debt and uh, and perhaps even get players, which is what they're aiming to do with this. In brackets, there's another loan they're going to ask of 1.5 billion euros, also to Goldman Sachs to rebuild the stadium and to create next to it, uh, or to rebuild as well, the uh, the, the old sports uh, court that they have next door. So to create a whole space, which will be one of the most important entertaining areas of Barcelona. That puts the uh, debt that Barcelona will have to Goldman Sachs to 2.1 billion euros. And that's three times the yearly income that's coming at the moment for Barcelona. Make your own make your own additions, and it sounds really strange. But, meanwhile, the way to actually get that money coming in is to actually improve the squad. So the way to do it is, of course, talk to Ferran Torres, who, in my eyes, is going to be with Ansu Fati, the best player of Spain in the next 10 years, realising, of course, that he wasn't enjoying himself at City because the timings of City and Ferran Torres didn't kind of match. Ferran Torres had to be a bit more patient to stay on and become the player that he can be and the Pep Guardiola, but he's impatient. He wants to be the best player in the world. He wants to be the star of the team. He he had to fight with six other players for his position at City, even though the goals were good, the amount of uh, playing time was decent, injury stopped all that. And went, knocked the door of Pep Guardiola's office and said, uh, Mister, I want to go. And Pep said, OK, well, go. Uh, one of the reasons why Manchester City could not get Cristiano Ronaldo, even though they agreed to do so, is because they had set seven players in similar positions. They had to get rid of some. Uh, I think it was uh, certainly Bernardo Silva, who tried to leave in the summer. The offer never came. In this case, the offer has come for Fernando Torre, Ferran Torres. And City has said, OK, you can go. There's one little problem. The wage list, the wage cap, it's at the maximum they cannot bring any more players. They cannot pay any more money for either Alves, Daniel Alves, who of course has been signed as well, or Ferran Torres. They cannot do that. So to actually be able to register both of them, uh, even though there are two empty spaces in the squad, the wage list has to go down. So they need to sell. Anybody, anybody's got money for Coutinho, Umtiti, Dest, Lenglet, Frankie de Jong, Mingueza, the long list. de Jong... That's the list. Does, mean, it, does it become clear that uh, basically they're just doing it by a debt? More debt? <laughs> is that the, <laughs> which is, which is quite risky, right? It's quite risky. And also, I think, 
Do you think there would be a lot of pressure on Ferran Torres because he hasn't played much this season because of injuries? He would arrive in a team that has struggled this season, has changed manager, that is, is rediscovering a way of playing, new new philosophy, new everything you want. And then he's almost arriving a bit like a saviour kind of thing of like, okay, he's the one who's going to score the goals. He's the one who's going to be great. He's the un- very likely the only signing. I mean, Daniel Alves as well, but he's the only real signing uh, coming in in January. It's a lot, no? Don't you think it's a lot? And coming back home as well, where you said he's had such a great record with the national team that I think a lot of people will expect a lot from him as well, even non-Barcelona fans. Yes, it, it is a big, big pressure. and uh, But he is happy to accept it. He is the kind of player that uh, I remember when he went just just before moving to City, I had a chat with him and he said, Cristiano Ronaldo is my is 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 is, is who I want to be basically just the kind of guy that wins games for for a team and you pointed out there that was a turning point for his career I think what he did with Spain uh, meant that he can do it he's ready to do it and in the system that Barcelona play four three three more and more the recognizable Barcelona of the white players he will be one of the white players but coming in and scoring he can do that has done that he's got no problem uh, in accepting that role. Guillaume, what does this signing, prospective signing, because obviously they've got to sell players first, tell us about Xavi and the kind of team that he wants to build? For example, would Barcelona have pursued this signing were Ronald Koeman still the coach of Barcelona? So what Who? does it say? <laughs> the Dutch guy, Jules, the Dutch guy. Don't start Julian on him. <laughs> Merry the, Christmas the thing to is, God, by the way. Ronald Koeman was doing a different kind of job. He he realized what he had. Obviously, he asked for a couple of players to to come in, and thought, okay, well, with what I've got, what can I do? Xavi is selling you a little bit future. He's selling you hope. Uh, he's telling you, okay, we haven't got the players to do what we want to do. And in fact, he has been very critical of some of the players. Um, th- those in the list uh, that I mentioned, most of them are players that, in his eyes, do not understand the style of Barcelona. And how can you be a Barcelona and not do so? What he's trying to do is get rid of the of the, of the dead wood and, and basically bring players that can um, do that kind of a style of possession, pressure, intensity, uh, high tempo, one v ones. You know a lot of a lot of the things that that, that you will recognise. Is it enough? We will see. If, is it enough for the, for this season? Uh, I think they they far away from the top four. But a couple of wins can turn things around. It's just that they, they bounce away from, from being top team in Europe. But they are desperate, desperate for quality. Cavani is another one they still want to go for. If uh, Manchester United reduce the um, the price for him, uh, although uh, it seems like Manchester United are, are not doing so at the moment because they're thinking with COVID and everything, better have a big squad. They are looking for another striker, a, a finisher, in a number nine. And it is certainly steps towards the same the, the good direction, Chav, what Xavi demands. I insist all this is built on a foundation of sand. Because unless money comes in, where this is going, in my eyes, 2.1 billion euros onto one financial entity in five, six years' time, how easy would it be for Goldman Sachs to say, do you know what? Give us the club, like AC Milan. Give us the club. We'll sort it out for you. And that's the fear of many. But it's a logical fear. Unless a lot of money comes in, Barcelona will be in the hands of a financial entity.
And what about this long list of players that you, you mentioned that Barcelona w- would allow to leave, the likes of Coutinho and um, Titi? Question for Julian and James, really. Are, are there takers out there? Are clubs interested in, in these players? Do you think they will leave in, in January, some of those? I think it's really tricky, um, particularly outside the Premier League, just because the continent is still picking up the pieces uh, from uh, the pandemic, really. And, you know, at this moment in time, stadiums are closing in in the other top five leagues, um, too. And uh, for that reason, the wages that these players have been paid, um, not to mention a fee um, that I imagine Barcelona would also want as well, makes it very, very challenging. All of these clubs that need to make money from the transfer window, you think of the likes of Inter, Barcelona, are looking to the Premier League. They're looking to a Newcastle <laughs> to come in and basically <laughs> in, invest in these players and take them off their hands because um, for Barcelona to go to Italy, to go to other teams in Spain, to go to Germany and find a buyer, I think, is very challenging in this environment. And, and they're no attractive players. I'm, I'm sorry, as much as I love Umtiti and World Cup winner, uh, of course, and, and Coutinho and, I don't know, Langley, all the others, apart from Frankie de Jong, I guess, and Ter Stegen, uh, but, and, and, the, and the players that they, they don't want to let go, the others that they don't want to let go, they, who, who, why would you buy Umtiti? Why would you buy Coutinho right now? The last time they played well, it was like three years ago. They've been injured, they've been out of form, they've been consistent, they've been everything you want, apart from good. So... Good luck finding a club who said, you know what, yeah, I'll take a gamble on him or I'll take a gamble on him. Because right now, like James said, financially, clubs can't afford... Before, maybe you could say, you know what, let's see if we can maybe relaunch his career or maybe revive him or whatever. And now, it's a gamble that you can't afford to take anyway. So you go with more safer options than the like of Coutinho or Mtiti. That's the big problem they have, like other clubs. They're not the only ones, but especially with the, the squad that they have. Have they got Newcastle on speed dial then, Guillaume? I mean, do you think they can shift these players? Well, they're over for Christmas. They've invited them. They're doing everything they can. <laughs> Christmas dinner. That's, that's a little bit the, the hope. I mean, you won't surprise. You won't be surprised to hear that. Of course, the Catalan press is helping. Uh, the story today is that um, Serginho Des has got a massive, huge offer from Chelsea, uh, which uh, will be matched very soon by Newcastle. <laughs> and then whoever else, uh, hoping that uh, to create a market. But I, my understanding of the Newcastle situation, and we discussed this here before, they're not in the market to spend 200 million this year or even next mm. summer. They're going to do it little by little. They need to know in which division they're in next, next season to start with. So it's not, they're not going to go crazy in the market. Uh, even though MTT cannot play you know, two or three games in, in 10 days. It's impossible because of, of his knee situation. He's got a huge, huge wage. So does Coutinho and Frankie de Jong. So they don't want to lose that. Um, how you how you get rid of them? Well, they've been trying for a long while and hasn't happened. So let's see. Do we read any anything into this from the Manchester City perspective? Are you surprised they, they've let him go, Julian? And do you think this could be a sign that they will sign a, a, a striker in January? Well, well, I would think that if you let if you let one go, it's certainly because you want to replace him in your squad. They need a big squad. They they play a lot of games. There's a lot of rotation, as we know, with Pep. So you would think that because they were trying to let one of those attacking players, like you were mentioning before, go in the summer, could not do it. They can do it now. You would think that either it's for January or certainly for the summer next summer to come to be able to bring 
someone new in. Um, it's not surprising that I think they let him go because if he wanted to go, like Guillaume explained, you, it, it would have been crazy for them, especially considering how well they're doing when he's not even playing, to, to say, OK, we understand that you want to go. If the, the offer is right, which which he is, I think it's a really good price if you're Man City, considering you bought him for £25 million, uh, in December 2020. You you go for it, and then I would think that they've got already a short list of of players. They've, 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 that's what they do. They plan things like the big clubs do do that all the time. They plan for who's coming next after so and so in that position. That kind of profile we we need or we're looking for. So they could go for someone completely different. Like I don't know Vlaovic. They could try Hurricane again. For all we know, they could go for someone younger. They could promote from within and call Palmer could get more minutes, for example, and wait for the summer to get a bigger name. They would have a, they would have a lot of choices but you would think that a club like that rarely go let one go without being replaced Manchester City do not need anything apart from a strike as we all know and it's strange to um, to say when uh, this year they they, got, they they broke a record of goals scored in the history of the club or something like that uh, but they feel that in certain games the, the semi-finals of the Champions League the big important games they want that striker that can take them to the next level they don't need another Ferran Torres. They don't need another Bernardo Silva. Now that he's, uh, you know, accepted to stay on and and he's done really well too, it's just that that's all they need a striker. And they will go and look for Blaovic and of course maybe Kane and and there's two or three that they're looking at. But uh, but that's the only thing. So that is Barcelona, the gift that keeps on uh, giving. Uh, we're going to ask you all for a player or a team that has stood out in, in this first half of the season. We, we'll start in Spain, Guillaume. One team that definitely deserves a mention. I know, I know you want to talk talk about them. Rayo Vallecano, currently fourth in La Liga. What a story. 14,000 seats in that uh, in that stadium, uh, in a district uh, full of working-class people and immigrant people that uh, see, abandoned by government, uh, who see football as a source of solida solidarity, uh, unity, which creates a huge... Um, rapport with the club and now with a manager in Andoni Iraola, a bass player who's a little bit sorry, former player of Athletic Club who's a little bit like Ernesto Valverde uh, quiet and assuming but has made him play rock and roll football it's direct, it's intense they defend deep but they attack the spaces and with the help of Raúl Falcao who scored five goals in, in the ten games that he's played and they are the best local team in the whole of Europe or the top five uh, leagues in, in Europe with uh, eight victories and a draw. Wonderful to watch and uh, great to see them in European places. The coach, is he another Bielsa, Marcelo Bielsa disciple? Because he, he played under him, didn't he, at Athletic Bilbao? Would that yeah. be too simple to draw that conclusion? Not so much a disciple. I, 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 I compare him more to, to Valverde. He's a Basque, uh, very, very Basque in the sense that he's calm, he's grounded. He doesn't have grand ideas. He doesn't tell himself as a genius or a guru. He just has a very clear idea of what he wants to do. Those very simple, uh, gives very simple instructions. He has learned, he says, one or two things from, from Bielsa. Don't call him a, a disciple. But certainly a lot of the things that he does, that intensity, that uh, using every single minute of uh, an energy of, of the players, that is something that, that, that perhaps comes from, from Bielsa. He will end up at Athletic Club at least and he's one of those young coaches to look uh, to keep an eye on. Is he a great photographer like Valverde? <laughs> <laughs> Not so much so. No, no, I don't think what his hobby is, but no, no. Have you seen the pictures of Valverde? They're fantastic. Really, really cool. He's got an exhibition right now in Bilbao. If you're there for holidays, come and have a look.
Right, I'm delighted to say that joining us on Euroleagues is a man that for many made a slightly surprising move when he joined Slovan Bratislava in August. At one point this season, he was top scorer in the Europa Conference League, ahead of the likes of Harry Kane. And with the Slovakian League now on its winter break, he's back in England. Hello to Andre Green. Hello. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Nice. Great to speak to you. Just First of all, just tell us how this how this move came about. So, yeah, basically it was... Um... It was a surprise to me as well, as much as it was to everybody else, if I'm being honest. I think there was, there was talks in winter that they, they wanted me to go there in the winter because obviously I was a free agent after I left Villa. And then, yeah, I think I'd left, I left Villa, had a few months where I could think about my next move. I decided to go to Sheffield Wednesday and then obviously the way that season went, it wasn't the best coming to pre-season. And I hear about this move, this new, this move that could possibly happen um, to Bratislava. I just saw all the opportunities that it had: uh, Europa League football, you know, winning the league. And I just thought it was something I couldn't, I couldn't turn down really. Did Did you need convincing? As in, obviously, we're in the middle of a of a pandemic, and uh, and you're thinking, is this the right move at my age? Should I just be seen by the people that know what I can do? Will I be off radar? Did that all go into your head? Yeah, definitely. I think I had a, a long conversation with my agent uh, talking about these kind of things, you know. And I'm 23. I thought, is this the best move for me? But if I'm being honest, when I left Villa, I, I've said to my family, I, I wanted to go abroad. I've had a few a few low moves that didn't really work out. And I thought this would be a good move for me to kind of get away, playing a good, a good standard, especially with Euro- Europa League football, and uh, really get my head down, focus on football and it was a big move. It was a big step, but um, I think that I think the it kind of paid off in a way, and it's it's going well at the minute. Andrea, I think you deserve a lot of credit for for being brave and good because you know for a long time English players didn't want to didn't really want to go abroad, and now we see more and more young players, especially like you, uh, being wanting to do that move. And because I think you 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 learn a lot. Did you know much about Bratislava, the league, the level? I mean, the the even the weather. I don't know, like anything. Did you did you do a bit of homework before going, or yeah, because uh, well, it's not the kind of league that you look, you know, that you watch on TV, for example. Of course, yeah. I didn't. If I'm being honest, no, I didn't know much because um, it's not one of the top leagues in the world, is it? You talk mm. about the top five leagues, um, it's not one of them, but. Yeah, it's a it's a big change. I'll tell you that it's um, the weather at the minute is cold, so I'm happy I'm back in England. <laughs> Football is is a good standard. To be fair, I was quite surprised when I got there. My first game, it was a league game, but my second game was Europa League against Olympiacos, and I was like, wow, okay, this is what I've came for. These kind of games, so. I think as long as my football's doing doing okay, which it has, and that's what I said to myself. I put a bit of pressure on myself to to go there because I'm on my own. I've got I've got my girlfriend over there, which is is good. But if that ain't going, if football ain't going well, it's going to be a lot more difficult. So, Andre, you you find you find a new league with uh, referees that referee differently. Um, that perhaps must have been one of the big changes. But what else did you find that? Um, you had in abundance compared to everybody else, but you, you have a shortage of compared to everybody else around you. I think when I was going there, we, me and my agents, we spoke about what I could bring and what's different to me compared to these kind of leagues, and it's the athleticism. I, I know as a player, I can get, especially as a winger, I can get up and down the pitch. I'm strong and I'm quick, so if I take that into this league, which I feel I have, 
it, it'll I'll, I'll start to to shine and and look a little bit more than everyone else. But the technical side is everyone's on level level playing field. That everyone is so technically good there, and I think that's a European way. You get more time on the on the ball, which suits my play. And obviously, I'm naturally fit from playing in England my whole life, so that is a big edge that I have on everyone else. So yeah, can, I can kind of stand out a little bit more uh, from being an athlete. But the football side, everyone's kind of level. I've got two, two questions for you. The first one is, I guess, and, and no offense to to, to Bratislava, but this was a, a stepping stone as well, and especially playing in Europe to be to be seen by maybe bigger clubs. And we've seen a lot of play, a lot of clubs, even in England, looking at. Eastern Europe, Europe, because you know players are usually cheaper than than in France, for example, or even in Belgium. That there's a lot of talent in those leagues, in you know where you are in Czech Republic, in, in in leagues like that. So I suspect as well in the back of your mind, going there was obviously to play a lot of football and do well and, and learn and etc. But also to be seen, right? And my other question mm-hmm. is, you must be the, you must be a big star now in Bratislava. I mean, come on, there's not many English players in the league. <laughs> you must be like, I don't know, the, uh, the David Beckham of, of the league and the country and selfies all the time and autographs and all of that. Surely, surely. Nah, no, I wouldn't say that. We're in a lockdown there at the minute, so, so no one's even out. No, yeah, it is, it is, um, it is a big thing because when I first signed there, I, was, I think I found out that... I was the first English player to play for Slovan. So no. when I got there, that that was the first thing they wanted wanted me to say into the uh, in the interview, and I, I had to say it. I was like, "Oh, and I'm the first player that plays for Slovan." So yeah, everyone's like, like kind of lo- not looking up to me because I've came from a league, but um, English football is massive everywhere in the world, and and that's kind of been the thing that I've found. They've they've asked me loads of questions whenever the Premier League's on TV. They're like, oh, what's he like? What's he like when the championship's on? What's he like? So, yeah, it's very interesting for everyone. Andre, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thanks so much. We all really, really admire the fact you've taken this move, I think. That's, that's Andre Green. Have a great Christmas. Thank you very much. You too. On the Football Daily Podcast, this is the Euroleagues. We're going to talk about Paris Saint-Germain now and... We may get a heated debate between Julian and, and Guillaume. I'm looking forward to this. I hope it delivers. Uh, PSG going to the winter break in France with a very healthy 13-point advantage at the top of the table. But it is all as well as, as the table suggests because Maurizio Pochettino, he has been getting criticised, uh, to say the least, from, from the media, from fans from as Julian. well in France. From Julian. We'll get, of we'll get to him in a moment. But Guillaume, Guillaume Valaga, you... I know you have strong feelings on, on the job Maurizio Pochettino is is doing at Paris Saint-Germain. I'll, I'll put it in a different way. Um, I think I can see, I'm following the um, the French press very closely in, in the last few months, obviously. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a columnist of Le Parisien uh, as well, and, and I put my point across there. And by, by looking at closely, I see that the, the, the direction of the criticism is a little bit... Um, mischievous. Uh, I am surprised that most of the criticism is directed to the um, to the bench in the same way that it was before towards Tuchel, towards Unai Emery. These guys are not stupid. Um, if the team is not playing well, there is a lot of reasons for it. It's not necessarily about the choices of uh, of the coach. For me, it's got to do with the culture of the club, and that's where I would love to hear uh, Jules more about that because um, even Leonardo gets a bit of criticism as well. 
uh, in in that uh, story that has been published this week in L'Equipe talks about that uh, the, the they are too lenient, both Leonardo and Pochettino on the players. You know, a couple of them, Latin American, came back from from a little bit of partying and they were in training without permission or. Oh, Paredes and Messi, the day after the Ballon d'Or, they had gastroenteritis, what's that about? And they tried to point out at players, especially players that have come from abroad, and the managers to explain those things, and to also explain that that is the reason why PSG are failing at the highest moment of, you know, the Champions League finals and, and stuff like that, the last hurdle. And to me, it's a, it's a, it's a culture of a club that doesn't take the priorities of a team uh, at, at stake. It's not the most important thing. You don't build a team to be a team. You, bu- you, build, you, build in, you put in together players that don't create that team spirit. So you have to look further up. And I don't understand, and I want Jules to explain to me, why Nasser, why the ownership doesn't get the same amount of criticism that managers and foreign players tend to get. It's a good, it's a, it's a good debate to have. Um... It's a tough club. It's a tough environment because this is the only club in Paris, like only club in the top flight in France in Paris, because L'Equipe is 100% uh, sports newspaper and and heavily uh, focused on on PSG. So I think would you say Jules anti PSG as well? Would you say I don't think so. Don't have I, the access or all of others maybe? Well. Some of their journalists who cover PSG are, are PSG fans. Have been PSG fans all their life, so I don't know. I don't know if 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 that if we can say that. I don't think so. Same for the Parisian. And and trust me, PSG doing well sells more newspapers for l'équipe and the Parisian than PSG not doing well. And PSG not being criticized sells more than P- PSG being criticized. I agree with you. It's a tough environment. I can understand what Tuchel used to say all the time. There's too much politics in here. I think. Nasser Khalifi and the Qatar owners don't help because they they take a, a huge step back in the way they, they they deal with the club in a sense. Uh, maybe they should be crit- more crit- more criticised by by the media. The the problem though, if P- if this PSG team with Poch was playing great football, really nice football with a structure, with a direction, with an identity. I think the criticism was, would be much less on the impossible. other things that you described. <laughs> it's impossible. So, uh, why? Thomas Tuchel in his first season, was, in his first year in time was playing much better than that. Laurent Blanc was playing much better than that. Carlo Ancelotti was playing much better than that with similar squads. It was a similar culture back then than it is now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know I don't why Poch would get a pass. Good or bad, when actually is a team that has never been regular and you actually add players that are not needed and you actually add another way of playing by bringing Messi and you're trying to put that together and do it well. Impossible. There is at least four ways of thinking about this team which is Mbappé, attack the spaces, Neymar, give me the ball, and Messi, let's attack together. The fourth, the coach, who's trying to put all that in one way of playing, and it doesn't happen because the front three, when they're together, they don't defend, which means that the midfield has to be defending in the edge of the box. How do you attack if you recover from there? There's a lot of space in it's not possible to play well. What will happen, of course, there'll be the four or five games, the big games of the season in which Mbappé will sort them out or Messi will sort them out and, and you will win and you will go, you know, and, and perhaps even get titles and the league is in your hands already. But playing well, it's impossible. The, the annoying thing I is disagree. that... I disagree. If people... Dis- well, if people understood to- that the way I understand it and the way it's, it's been understood within, within football, they will not criticise the coach. The coaches are not stupid. 
They know how to put a team together. You've seen them doing them. The, the, you know, Tuchel and, and Unai Emery won European titles after the last PSG. They're not bad coaches. It's but just that much better team football than he does. Well. He doesn't even do tactical work at training. I'm not sure what he does. I don't understand. You can say, oh, yeah, of course, there's, there's unbalance in that team. No problem. Yeah, they play players who play differently with different profiles. You, I mean, they could not be Lorient, who are second from bottom, who had lost the last eight games before facing PSG and looked the better because side for 90 so minutes. it's so easy to see the weakness of this team. It's so easy. But that's not my problem. The that's individual. the coach's problem. And to actually to say, that. Jules, to actually say, for somebody like Pochettino, and I heard this from others, that he doesn't do any tactical work. I mean, are you saying that all of a sudden he stopped doing his job? No, no, no. That is certainly that. a lot of the players think it's not I enough. what's coming out. I don't it's not enough. that for a second. Well, the players say it's not enough. Well, I don't know, but I'm just saying to you, like, I understand all you said, and certainly that's what Poch is saying, publicly, privately, this is really hard, the culture of the club, the players, the misfit, the imbalance. I get all of that. Still, Guillaume, they should be playing better than that. I'm not saying they should play like City are doing or Liverpool are doing. I get it. It's, it's, they're miles, miles behind, but still better than that. Really better Jules. Than that. Jules, you keep saying that the players are saying this, the players are saying that. Who is accountable on the pitch and in the dressing room? Yeah, in terms of like leadership, because you look at this PSG squad and you're like, okay, Messi should be like the technical leader, right? You've got Sergio Ramos, who is <laughs> yeah, this kind of old school leader, if you like, of being physical, aggressive, sets the tone that way. And then you've got Neymar, who is yeah, the, the world record transfer and supposed to be the post boy in this project. You've got Mbappe, who is French, who's a World Cup winner, um, who yeah, you're trying to keep. Where do you look to on the pitch uh, uh, in terms of leadership? Because I, I think that you've got all these tensions pulling. Yeah. It, it's, no, no, yeah. I think you're right. And it goes back to Guillaume's point, which is, which is true as well. I think this is a hard dressing room to manage. Certainly harder, game, and you're right, to other managers before who I think in terms of leadership, you had, you had very identified bosses in that dressing room. Now it's far more eclectic and you're right, e even in those leaders that you mentioned, they're very, very different to each other in the way they behave, in their professionalism, in, in everything you want. So I can understand that navigating between all of that is, is hard and that's another problem and that's, that's certainly not Pochettino's fault. I think Marquinhos could really be the one to sort of gather everyone, but even that is difficult. You've got clans, which, by the way, not in a neg negative way, doesn't have to be negative to have clans. It's just that some, like, you know, the South Americans stay a lot together, and Paredes, Di Maria, Di Maria and Messi have known each other since they were 12 or 13 years old. So, of course, they've got a, a very different relationship than, say, I don't know, Kimpembe and Messi. But, again, this happens in the law of dressing room. But I think there's something in that leadership issue that is not really an issue because you've got a lot of leaders but maybe too many or maybe two different ones that could 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 hinder that team i think definitely and, and there's one thing that pushes pushes management too uh, there's one thing that really bothers me um and and it's to do with the fact that from second month of uh, messi being there already criticism of messi not playing well he's disappointing and one thing to prove it in the eyes of many is the very important um players points ratings ratings, ratings yeah <laughs> Uh, which which are very important and uh, in L'Equipe especially being the uh, the number one at that but they're not the only ones who do it and I found out that L'Equipe do not judge Messi like anybody else alright 
So they don't judge the performance. They don't judge what he's done. So, for instance, I think it was was it against San Etienne? He, he had uh, three assists, yes. six points out of ten. And the reason is, I know, unless he scores a hat-trick, we're not going to give him a 9 or a 10. A hat-trick, which is a very difficult thing to do, especially when you are after a new team, given the impression that he is performing less than he actually is. And certainly, he hasn't hit the word alive because, as we're saying, there are four ways of thinking about the team. But the media is not really helping in trying to understand what's going on there because perhaps, I don't know, the expectations, whatever you want to call it, or the fact that, you know... He comes from abroad, so he, you know, come in, come in and conquer the world, and you cannot do it. Well, you're not doing it, are you? You're not doing it. It seems to me like a little bit unfair. Mm. Yeah, I think they've been impatient, and I've I've been telling everyone in France to give the guy, even if he's the goat, give the guy some time. And and I think because he's the goat, I think they 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 don't want to do that. I don't know if you look at the game yesterday against Lorient. Who I thought he was really good. He got seven out of ten in l'équipe and five out of ten in Le Parisien. So it shows you that at time even the guys that were was there. Same thing, That's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> Tend to be more valid. Before we leave France, Julien, um, unfortunately we have to talk about more depressing scenes, don't we? Just briefly. Mm. Last weekend, the cup game between Paris FC and Lyon abandoned after crowd trouble. Uh, and it's the latest in a catalogue of incidents this season. Leon docked one point after their game against Marseille was abandoned last month. Payet was struck by a bottle thrown from the stands. Nice docked two points, one of them suspended after incidents in the match against Marseille in August. Uh, the derby between Lens and Lille, there were, there were problems. Also incidents at Montpellier, Angers, Marseille, Saint-Étienne. I mean, it's just shocking, isn't it, Julian? What is happening here? Why so many serious incidents? It is shocking, and we talked about it on the show before we have to again unfortunately I, I hate it but I think French football is rediscovering its hooligans and it's, it's, it's that I mean it's, it's an ultra culture that is very strong in France maybe not as strong as in Italy for example but certainly very strong and the problem is that within those ultra groups and Lyon especially are the ones now that we focus on because of what happened at Paris FC last weekend in the French Cup uh, where yes they were provoked by PSG ultras who, who got in and clearly went there just to fight but then took the anger into families children women whatever you want who were just there watching watching a game um a lot, of, a lot of those ultras are part of far-right groups. And then, again, this is something that had gone away for a little bit, that clubs in France hadn't the control, trying to control those ultras, doing well at controlling them. And now, maybe because of the pandemic, because for two years, no one was coming in the stadium, pretty much. So you, you don't have the same relationship and, and close look at them because, because they're not there anymore. And suddenly they're back, and they're back, I think... With with bad intentions for some of them, and that's 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 the craziness about it. I think the league, and I've said it many times, and I will say it again, have to be had to be much tougher before, have to be tougher now. The federation as well, because that cup game would be would be dealt with by the federation and not the league. But before the sanctions that were taken were were, were too soft, and that's why it kept happening and happening again. Make sure that if you if you if you dock three points. Or more than that, for a team that whose fans are misbehaving in that way, they will stop. And now it's down to the clubs as well to sort out their own fans because it can't continue like this. We've heard an awful lot this season about Jose Mourinho and his Roma team. But right with them in the Serie A table, Fiorentina both go into the winter break on 32 points. Uh, James, would it be fair to say Fiorentina have gone a bit under the radar this season? 
Yeah, because they haven't hired Jose Mourinho and they haven't spent 100 million on the team, which is what Roma have done. Um, yeah, Fiorentina are the most improved side in Serie A this season. Um, to be honest, they have been underperforming uh, for the last couple of years when they were taken over by uh, the Italian-American, Rocco Camiso, who put quite a lot of money into it, not the same that we've seen at Roma um, over, over the summer. Um, but all too often, this was a team that was... Uh, not playing to potential was getting sucked into relegation battles rather than challenging for Europe and finally uh, they are in contention for uh, at the very least a Europa League place and in some respects it's it's by accident rather than design because uh, in the summer they look to try and appoint uh, Rino Gattuso um, who was available at the time uh, and uh, they fell out uh, with him and decided uh, not to pursue that uh, over a clash and transfer strategy so they they thought okay let's go and buy out the contract of the hottest property in Italian coaching right now which is Vincenzo Italiano who had got a team promoted from the fourth division to the third division, third division to the second division, second division to the first division, and then kept that team Spezia up. Um, and he has done a great job with the uh, most exciting young striker in Europe after Erling Haaland, which is Dusan Vlajevic. Um, but apart from that, uh, and the signing of Nico Gonzalez, the team is as it was over the last two years. Um, and I think that's the real mark of talented coaching is, uh, is is showing what you can do with what you inherit and making it better. And and he has done that with a, a pressing style. Uh, Vincenzo Italiano, Vinny Italian, if you want to translate that, but born, <laughs> great born, great name. born, born in Germany, and I think in some respects has some of the the principles and the concepts from German football brought them into into Italy, and it's a team that um, has proven themselves that they can go and beat anyone, um, this, or at least give the, give the teams that are bigger and better funded um, a, a real a real tough test when they come up against each other. <laughs> James, tell us about Dusan Blaovic because he um, he obviously, as you described, one one of the most talented young strikers in in Europe. Um, he's wanted by all the English play all English teams. Seems like he's fancies the idea of staying at Juventus for next season, maybe just to try to keep building his reputation. I don't know what it is, but tell us tell us more about him. <laughs> Well, Guillaume, it's clear that uh, if there's one thing that Juventus lack at the moment, it's a striker. Ever since Cristiano uh, orphaned them uh, just uh, before the uh, the transfer window closed, they, they, they've been struggling to score goals. But yeah, Duzan's been at the uh, Fiorentina since he was a teenager. They went and found him in, in Parsons Belgrade Academy. They've had a, a great link-up, really, over the years with them. I mean, you think of Jovetic, Nastasic, Lajic, all of those players that have tended to go from Partizan to Fiorentina then to Man City. Um, but Duzan... Uh, He's 21 he now, isn't he? He'll be 22 next month. Exactly. He looks the complete striker. Um, he's great at coming short, uh, then yeah, switching the play out to the fullbacks, dashing in to get into the box and finishing off moves. Great in the air. Score free kicks. He's got perfect penalty uh, ratio as well. I think it's 13 from 13. Um, and... He just looks like he is ready for a big club. Uh, the only the only player, as I mentioned, who can rival him in numbers, his age, is, is Haaland. But, of course, Haaland's been doing it in the Champions League. Um, that's something that we haven't seen uh, Vlajevic in Europe at all. Um, but 
he will not sign a new contract with Fiorentina. This is a major flashpoint between his agents and the club. The club initially wanted to sell him in January for £80 million. I think the player wants to stay on until the end of the season and weigh up his options. Um, but he keeps doing it. So all this pressure and scrutiny around him, you know, with, for example, the, the ultras, he will not go and celebrate in front of the Cordova Fiesoli because the ultras will whistle him or they'll abuse him. But he keeps delivering, he keeps scoring. Um, and I think that's, that's a really impre- impressive measure of a young player. I feel like I got there before he was famous, James, because I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and his English is fantastic. So, I mean, you mentioned Juventus. What what about a move to England? Well, I think in October, Fiorentina uh, were in London uh, to have talks with uh, a number of of English clubs. Uh, I think Spurs in particular, one of the clubs we're looking at him when last summer, uh, they didn't really know what was going to happen with with Harry Kane. Um, But certainly is, is seen as someone who has the... The build um, to play in the Premier League, um, undoubtedly. But yeah, this is a guy who I think could pretty much choose where he plays next. Um, yeah, he's he's that good. And you really welcome one of my boys, of course, Jonathan Iconé, who's going to come in January uh, from Lille, Paris, <laughs> born and bred. So you better look after him. But but it's just my point was, you know, with Vlahovic, as you mentioned, they they got him young, but they're doing really good things with who they sign as well. I think the, sc- the scouting. He's very good there. Look at Nico Gonzalez, for example, uh, Milenkovic, who was, was there in 2017, but, but still has proved a really good signing. Uh, Martinez Quarta. I mean, there's a few that have done really well, haven't they, for Fiorentina, like, like an icone, if you want, where they, they've looked at the market well, the same players who, who they can't afford to pay too much for them anyway, but then usually have very good uh, resale value, certainly in the case of Laovic, I, I suppose Iconic could be very similar too. This is this is a clever signing, a club that do things cleverly, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, they've also got a good academy. You know, think of uh, Bernadeschi, Chiesa, um, mm. recently Castrovilli. A lot of things going for Fiorentina in the right way at the moment. And uh, right, guys, we've got a couple of minutes left. Plans for Christmas Day. What's going on? In my case, I started a a tradition last year of going from Christmas Day to New Year's Day and move to an hotel, a spa, that has got a warm swimming pool. So I spend (laughs) half of the day in Christmas Day in a swimming pool and half of the day New Year's Day in a swimming pool. It's a a one-year-old tradition, which I think I'm going to keep. Beat that, guys. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Can we come? I wish I could be Guillaume Balaguer on Christmas Day because my day is going to be crazy. You know that, all the opening the presents, the children, then a nice uh, Christmas lunch at the pub uh, in Winchmore Hill where we live. And then and then after that, playing board games, enjoying being together again because it's been a while since we had Christmas all together. Yeah, I've got three probably... panettones to get through. Uh, I, st- <laughs> I started one today, which was probably the best I've ever had. Sant'Ambrosius from Milan. It's an astounding panettone, so there you go. My thanks to Guillaume, Jules and James. Happy Christmas from all of us. Your next edition of the Football Daily is out on Friday. It's a festive edition of 72 Plus, featuring a special appearance from one of the game's biggest characters. It's the Peterborough Director of Football, Barry Fry. Don't miss that. Thanks a lot for listening. BBC Sounds. June 2008. Across the London skyline, a helicopter emerges. It lands at Lord's Cricket Ground. Emerging from the helicopter is a tall, brash Texan called Alan Stanford. 
and he's come with a load of money and a revolutionary idea to change cricket. One night, one game, winner take all, 20 US million dollars. What was to follow was one of the most extraordinary stories to ever hit sport. This guy smells to high heaven. He fooled important people. I'm Greg James, and you can hear Alan Stanford, the man who bought cricket, by searching for sports' strangest crimes on BBC Sounds. Joy 99.7 FM.